0: This is your host and Diverity PBC's community engagement lead, Enrico Imanalo. Courage is a wonderful and often necessary thing, but increasingly, what we're seeing is that courage is simply not enough. It's not enough to speak up, it's not enough to take to the streets and it's not enough to draw lines in the sand. In fact, if we stop at highlighting what isn't working, or further, if we don't critically consider the humanity of those we are speaking up against, we can easily end up dehumanizing them in the very same ways that people in power often dehumanize others. That's right. Even if we are courageous, without compassion, we too can become oppressors. In this episode of the DEI Is podcast, Dr. Pushpa Iyer and I discuss how compassionate courage can unlock the potential of DEI in our workplaces and beyond. Just a reminder, if you find what we talk about on the DEI is podcast to be useful, insightful, or just plain interesting, give us a like, share it with your friends, and of course, subscribe. DEI is Compassionate Courage with Dr. Pushpa Iyer starts in 3, 2, Hey, everybody, this is Enrico Imanala with another episode of the DEI is podcast. Um, with me today is Dr. Pushpa Ayer, who is a strategically-minded executive and thought leader with 25-plus years of experience championing international education, racial equity, and peace-building efforts. By drawing on a critical thinking approach and a background leading capacity-building projects, Dr. Ayer empowers the communities she works with to facilitate social change and has extensive experience supporting vulnerable populations and low-income communities. Over the course of her career, Dr. Ayer has become has come to the conclusion, excuse me, that while courage is instrumental to accomplishing social change, courage alone is not enough. In fact, what is needed is both compassion and courage. So uh, Dr. Ayer or Pushpa, excuse me, uh, how are you and uh, how exactly would you define compassionate courage?
1: Thank you. Thank you, Enrico, first for having me and to diverge for um you know, also this invitation. It's really a pleasure to talk to you. I've watched you, Enrico, in action in many other of the podcast series that you've had, and it's, it's uh, you're a great conversationalist. You know, so oh, love you. to talk to. <laughs> so it's really lovely to be here with you. Um, so yes, compassionate uh, courage is the initiative. You know that I lead, and I defined for myself. You know, I think about courage as being sometimes. True to your values. If you can stand up for your values at all times, um, obviously, with all the discernment that you need to do, given a given a context, but if you can be true to your values, if you know you're being true to it, then that's courage for me. Mm. And I see compassion as empathy in action. You know, so often people talk about empathy and say putting yourself in the shoes of the other. I think it goes a step further for me with compassion. It's not just putting yourself in the shoes of the other, but literally, can you walk in those shoes with the other person? Like, can you actually accompany them through what it is that they are trying to convey, whether it's an emotion, whether it's an experience? So that's how I would define those two words. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that you you take it there because a lot of people, they are familiar with the word compassion or they think they are. But if we go back to its roots, what it actually means is to have pain with, you know, it's like to experience the same pain that somebody yeah. else is. Right? Yeah. it's not it's not pity. It's not I, I no. feel so bad for you. Yeah. And it's not empathy. It's not sympathy. It's something no. that's much deeper. Yeah. Uh, so thank you for opening that up for us. Um, so I'd like to pivot to our audience real quick. Uh, what is your take on compassionate courage? What's one clear indicator that we are not only showing up courageously, but showing up in ways that don't oppress others, you know? So that's, that's what I was hearing at the heart of, uh, what you were saying about compassionate courage. and so as those responses kind of come in, uh, let's pivot to our first question. So many conversations have focused on the need for organizations to be courageous, but there are different forms of courage. So for you, why is it so important to pair courage with compassion? And I know maybe you've answered that a little bit, but I'm interested in kind of the thinking that that got you to this point.
1: Yeah, so, um... I look at organizations or communities when I talk about compassionate courage, you know, so I see it happening in the context of a place, a situation um, where people are actually constantly interacting with each other and need to continue to interact with each other. Mm-hmm. So if you're thinking about people together in an organization. You think about those who not only we are working together today, but we have to continue to work tomorrow. So the way we work with each other today matters a lot, right, in terms of how it'll look like tomorrow, what our relationship will look like and why it's therefore so important for us to engage with people courageously, because we do need to engage in a way where we are able to talk about some very difficult things, things that hurt us, things that are making it challenging for us to be in a place. Um, But at the same time, that courage or that saying true to your values by saying, no, I'm sorry, but this is who I am. This is how it works. Sounds great. But it has to be done. Also, I'm saying in a compassionate way, you have to do it because if you don't do it, the courage becomes you know there's a lot of conversations around calling out it's about the public shaming it's about the fact that you 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 publicly you know broadcast in some way and you expect some kind of repercussions on this person that you think has caused you harm or injury which in certain contexts trust me that needs to be done too that kind of yeah. public shaming yeah absolutely certain types and certain types of power that people hold but in other times most times when we are to work with each other when we continue to remain interdependent with one another it's so important for us to be able to courageously engage but do it with compassion do it in a way that really says I wanna to listen to you, why you said this, why you did this, why you are acting in this way, or why are our policies you know, in, in this format? What, what could we change? That ability to hear, that ability to be able to listen without judgment, those are some of the kinds of things that I am associating with compassion for us to say, let me really try to understand, let's say where you are coming from Enrico, and that helps me to engage with you still with courage, but with that compassion firmly in place.
0: So if I'm hearing what you're saying correctly, then I think what I'm hearing is um, in a situation where we're highly interdependent with people who might be different from us, there's a relationship there, even if it's not necessarily a relationship that we've chosen, but we still have to develop it. The other thing that I'm hearing is sometimes we have to say the hard thing or to have a difficult conversation, as people like to say now. And so people kind of ramp up their willingness to do that by kind of often it's through the lens of frustration or anger, but it often culminates in kind of finger pointing. And what a lot of people don't see is the person who's getting the pointer, the finger pointed at them. Goes through humiliation at the very least, right?
1: Yes. And so
0: that creates these bad feelings that damage the relationship, frankly, and it doesn't make it easier for us to accomplish the things that we are trying to accomplish. Is exactly. that all fair to say?
1: All that very fair to say. Exactly. We are a society full of divisions, and we are only deepening these divisions. You know, by this continued, um, you know, uh, methods that we use. You know that. We think, you know, when we are hurt, we have to be able to speak up. We have to be able to highlight, and we should. And I think there is a time and place for that too. But if we were thinking about it, even strategically, let's not even think about it as something coming from the heart. But even from the mind, you know, from the intellect, you still want to engage with, say, your peer, your colleague at work, or in a way that you want to continue to work with them. That should be the goal. So I think compassionate courage as an approach that I approach it is something that I think organizations would support because they want to have a workforce that can actually work together, that will continue to interact with each other and to do it. But the compassionate courage approach does not leave out the leadership it brings them into so that's why uh, they may find it challenging maybe at some other times yeah
0: i can certainly understand that and it also sounds like part of the whole uh, idea of compassionate courage is if we are trying to address our own harms then why should we go around harming others if we want people to help us to address our harm like is that am i getting that right
1: yeah yeah exactly it 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 just does not make sense if you think about who we are as homo sapiens humans that we are. we are interdependent. How much ever we'd like to think otherwise we are totally interdependent on each other and we become even more interdependent when we are in a in an environment like an organization or a yeah. small community group you know we are more interdependent. and the question really is how do we get people to, reach out to each other's humanity. And I think compassionate courage shows the way in that, in that we are not, we are being true to ourselves. We still have the courage to stand up for ourselves, but we still do it in a compassionate way to say, okay, you, let me understand where you're coming from. So that kind of it makes you a little bit more open, I think, you know, in how you approach each other.
0: Yeah. You know, I'm kind of reflecting on conversations that I've had with other practitioners uh, about activism and, I know that it's it's really easy especially when you're in a in a in a crowd of people to let emotion kind of carry yes. you yeah. and like but uh that feeling of that collective anger it's kind of intoxicating and it's kind of exciting but ultimately does it get us where we need to go and uh, from where i sit um I, I really don't think it does and so i i really hear you when You're saying that we need alternate means of creating broad-based social change. Um, So I'd like to pivot to our audience once again. Yeah, so if we're thinking about, uh, you know, those, those people who are activists or who are pushing for change, right? So what's one thing that you would like people interested in pushing back against the dynamics of oppression to consider as they strive for positive social change? So I'll leave that up for us for a little while. Um, and if we're moving on into our next question area, uh, what does compassionate courage look like beyond, um, so mm-hmm. earlier you were saying like calling someone out. Some of our viewers might be familiar with uh, the idea of calling someone in. So rather than humiliating someone, creating space to like talk yes. about things. Yeah. But beyond that, what does compassionate courage really look like?
1: So I think um, compassionate courage is about a lot of work that you need to do internally in order for you to be able to engage externally. Mm -hmm. So that's the part that I am emphasizing on in this initiative. So it's, it's not these magic tools that I can say and say, do this, do this, do this. But I'm saying, what is the kind of steps that you need to take? Because how do I hear somebody who I think has injured me or has harmed me, Right. right? Even if, that's that's the feeling that i have and even if that's the reality how do i then get to engage this person that's where the courage aspect comes in and mm. i always say approach this issue that you have this injury with courage but act with compassion so approach it with courage because you have to step into that space, but you act with compassion because then you're going to be able to really listen. So a lot of my work is about how you need to do more self-reflection, the kinds of education that you need to do. And I know there's a lot of tension between who needs to get educated, you know, right. like some some feel they do not need education on many of the issues we talk about with identity conflicts. If it's about their own identity experience because they say, I have the experience. Why do I need to get educated? But I, but I really believe that everybody needs to get educated in the sense that even if it's about me feeling discriminated, I need to understand where the other person is coming from. I need that story. That requires a level of. Curiosity, a kind of education process that I need to go through. So I think this education aspect holds true for anyone, you know, whoever is feeling discriminated or whoever is being accused of discrimination. So that self-reflection, then I get on to education. I call this this rear aspect, R, W, E, R, and this is what it is. So it's reflect, then you educate. Once you educate yourself, you engage.
0: Mm, okay.
1: That's when you start the engaging. And you see, when you've done the reflection, which is knowing yourself and your values, and you've done the education to get to know the other, you're happy to engage. And you're going to engage automatically at this time with a certain degree of compassion. It's going to come because you just now know the other. So engagement comes for me at that point. And then I call the next stage, the restore stage, restoration. So you really have to find that balance within yourself. Once Mm -hmm. you have all this information, once you have, have courageously engaged and that's how you build your compassion, because compassion to a certain degree is learned and it can be, you know, something that you can keep working on like empathy. You know, you can keep working on it. So I think the restoration helps to rebuild that. So the next time you're faced with something, you're already going in, knowing a little bit about yourself, knowing a little bit about the other, knowing how to engage. And then you get into this part where you find that inner balance because we do we get hurt. And we have to find that inner balance within ourselves. And so that's what this approach is about. And I think the other... Sorry, am I going to... No, no, go ahead. I think the other one very important aspect for me with compassionate courage is that I insist that whoever has power in this situation... So you see, if you take, for example, uh, if you think about... um, Uh, say, in an organization, there is tension between two employees, right? I mean, something happened, someone said something, somebody's upset. So there's this tension. And often leaders tend to sit back and uh, look at it and say, that's a problem between those two people or those two groups of people. And it's, it's them fighting, like treat you like children, like the problems, you know, and you're figuring it out. Whereas in Compassionate Courage, I'm saying if an organization adopts this model, then the leaders have to be present every time there is such a conversation. Of course. And if they are present, then you can look at it beyond this being between two groups. And maybe I said this out of frustration. If I said this out of frustration, then maybe it means that there is something about the organization systems or structures which doesn't make me feel supported, protected. So what do we do about that? And leaders have to sit there and be answerable because these things don't happen in a vacuum. It's not right. just two of your crazy employees fighting and doing it. So if two of your children are fighting, the parents have to think about what they need to do as a family, right? I mean, they need to figure out what rules do we need to have for our kids. In the same way, I'm saying the leaders have to be involved in this. And that's how this compassion and courage can be even systemic change if it's done properly.
0: You know, I, I love that idea of uh, including the decision makers in, yes. in the room uh, yes. as part of this process. And, um you know, a little bit of an aside here. Yesterday, I went to pick up a package at my old apartment building. And yes. one of the, uh, the things that caused us to move was there was this plumbing issue. Yeah, And so I was talking to the property manager about that. And what they said to me was, oh, after you moved out, we got the problem fixed because we actually got somebody from the leadership of the the plumbing company who was aware about this issue at the time of construction. And once we had that information in hand, the fix took less than an hour. But the fact was, because the uh, the the leader was out of the loop on the conversations that were happening between myself and the the building, uh, it never got communicated to the yeah. technician that they sent out there what the what the what the fix was. And this was uh, something that was ongoing the entire time that I lived there. So like 18 months and, you know, the the plumbing itself took like two weeks or, or whatever. But if communication was set up the way that it needed to be, could have been done in less than a day.
1: Yeah. 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 There you go.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, uh, life is full of situations like that. And yes. uh, I'd like to say it gets easier, but hopefully uh, this is this is something that can help. It also sounds like um, if you're practicing this as an organization, yeah, the, the work is individual, but what helps um, that individual progress is by seeing other people who are also engaged exactly. in that learning and yeah. uh, creating an environment yeah. where everybody's yeah. doing this. Yeah, yeah. Nice. So, I guess uh, for me, that leads me to my next audience question, which is, how do you build your skills for advancing diversity, equity, and inclusion, or anti-oppression? Or in, in this case, it could even be conflict or uh, or other related things. So, again, we'll wait for some some uh, some responses to come in. Um, if we're thinking about DEI specifically, what can adherents and practitioners of DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, expect to unlock by embracing compassionate courage?
1: Yeah, so I think as far as also um, our work as DEI professionals, I think the the approach, compassionate courage approach is useful because it helps us in some ways um, develop certain tools that are necessary to get different identity groups or individuals who are coming together with these differences, Uh, it empowers us with these tools that we can give them. So for example, for me, a lot of the tools is uh, my ability to get uh, these groups, these identity groups that are at at uh, you know at in some conflict with each other to do that analysis of what that conflict is to really understand the situational things now as a conflict resolution professional that helps me a lot and i use that as a tool to help them first look at what the broader context is before we talk about the actual harm cost, right yeah. and then and self-reflection is another tool that I've also learned from my field in conflict resolution. It's like you really cannot help somebody else if you don't know who you are, right? It's true. So Yeah. So that's another thing. And then a third tool that I use, for example, as a DI professional that I can then pass on to others, you know, who need that help and support is storytelling. Mm. And you know learning storytelling as a technique as a tool for resolving these conflicts you know and that helps you build both empathy and compassion as well when you listen and are able to listen so listening is a big art in itself and again something you can train yourself in but active listening right being able to listen as well as ask the kinds of right questions that you need to stay engaged in that so for me as a DEI professional or for anybody else who's here I would assume that you have your own tools these kinds of tools are sharpened because you don't judge based on one thing that has been said or done or how you know people are experiencing injury you actually get to really analyze the and when i say conflict analysis i mean like you look at everything right around the conflict you look at who are the different groups of people involved what is happening who has power all those kinds of things that you do and then I also use, D in my DEI work, I use certain steps in Compassionate Courage that people have to go through. And each step has certain tools, you know, that people, so I do some trainings on Compassionate Courage, and that's what I would do, is like take people through these steps of how do you build courage and how do you build compassion and why you need to engage in that way. And I, I don't think any of us will lose in this world if we really try to understand each other and go in with compassion. Um Naming, shaming, humiliation, all these things, as I said before, I think are useful in certain contexts. They have to be done. But for most of us, that doesn't work. What we really need to see is other ways of how we make it work. So I really, you know, I believe very strongly that this is the way to go.
0: Yeah. And, you know, something that came up for me as you were talking is uh, in DEI circles, as we both know, um, people like to throw around that phrase intent versus impact yes as if it doesn't also apply to us you yes. know and yes. i think that really sticks yes. in my craw honestly because it's like if if we're saying that we are like it's you true. know in another context yeah. quote unquote holier than thou then yeah. like yeah. What, what can we really expect and so i guess what i'm getting at here is like you know, again, uh, what is the impact of how we move through the world to advance racial equity, to address conflicts, to to create positive change? And some of what I'm thinking about here is, uh, and my background is also in conflict resolution. Yes, yes, one of the things that you and I have discussed, Pushpa, is that the field of conflict resolution, that is academic conflict resolution is deeply, deeply rooted in a Judeo-Christian, Western, European, and English uh, context. And that carries baggage. That carries a lot of baggage. That's thousands of years, right? Uh, It can't not. And so to show up with our conflict resolution tools, uh, especially in other cultural contexts, and tell people this is how we resolve conflicts, is also an act of imperialism (laughs) absolutely
1: absolutely absolutely but that's why um i i 100 percent i'm with you and you are aware of some of my work with decolonization and this is kind of what i'm trying to do is also look at into our field how we think about neutrality for example you know what that really means in the field versus what we think comes from other um you know, other traditions and other ways of people uh, looking up. So uh, when I therefore take the tools, I take it as literally saying, we develop it in that cultural context. So I can say conflict analysis, but I don't have to do the conflict analysis using the theories necessarily that don't necessarily make sense to somebody in another part of the world. We can come up with our old ground theories, we can come up. But I think that step, is important to do that analysis. Same thing I do for self-reflection. You don't have to do it in a journal. You don't have to put it down in writing if you're embarrassed. You don't have to talk about your very deeply personal thoughts if that's not something that works in your culture. You can talk about something else. But it's more about knowing yourself, and there are ways you can know yourself and to do it without even telling anybody else. Just do it for yourself, you know? so i try to adapt the tools the way i do but you raise a very important point to be very conscious that when we are doing that to be very aware and conscious of who the people are that we are working with so that we we can uh, adapt that tool or we can you know in a explain that tool in a way that really resonates with people from different uh, traditions and different cultures um, but yes i think you know telling people to uh, you know to tell stories is is across cultures is it's everywhere it's how the stories are told you know we don't need to have a beginning and a middle and an end as we tell people we can do it in different ways so
0: yeah yeah. absolutely you know uh we've been talking quite a lot about analysis in the in this last part but something i've been doing with my clients a lot recently is um so in the conflict resolution field we often will use things like a conflict map to figure out where there's intersections or like a conflict matrix something like that, but a visual representation of where we're butting up against things. And so I found great utility in in using the same kind of thing for my DEI work because... Uh, If somebody has to draw you a picture of how they're moving through the world, then you'll often see them kind of slow down and pause and you'll see the wheels turning and like, oh, do I want to be moving through the world like that? And the answer is often, uh, it's not entirely no, but it's like, oh, I like these parts, but yeah, I really want to like work on these parts or like that's not what I want at all. Exactly. And the great thing about that is uh, in conversation, we can like, depending on how we frame things, uh, somebody might misinterpret what we're saying. But if we're collaborating on a map or something, that allows us to get into the analytical space without getting tripped up on certain phrasings or or things like that because we can just see it so mm-hmm. i'm just kind of curious if you've had experiences with your your clients in compassionate courage that were like you know surprised you or uh you just thought were really great
1: you know i i feel that um like you i have tried mapping as well with uh different groups again not necessarily the way we necessarily learned it taught it you know uh, but more with the idea of adapting to whatever um you know, whatever really resonates with them in terms of both locating themselves, finding themselves in the broader context of what is going on, as well as locating other people. And I've heard some surprises along the way of how they see those relationships yeah. based on how I was necessarily brought in into that context and told that this is what, you know, this is the relationship between these two groups and this is the context. But when you ask them, I have found many surprises, which makes me say, and I agree with you, in in many ways is that the more uh, that they can be creative in those process it's not only like revealing to us as the people yeah. who are coming in as a dei professionals but it's also very revealing to themselves because that's not how they saw it and um i have had some not necessarily i wouldn't call it surprises but i've had breakthroughs in people seeing power relationships when doing that uh, because what they thought as them being completely powerless you know changes when you start putting people in in those kinds of maps and and really yeah. seeing yourself so yes yeah
0: yeah that 's a great reminder, you know, like many of us feel powerless or helpless, yes. and it 's worth yes. highlighting yet again that this is something that we learn along the way, you know famously yes. there's the example yes. of um of captive elephants that are uh yes. imprisoned when they 're young there's you know tethered to a a stake in the ground and eventually they learn that they can't escape it even when they grow to sufficient size where they could easily remove the the stake and the chain on their own so this this is something that uh is unfortunately deeply prevalent throughout our societies Uh, and sometimes all we need is a new way of looking at things so
1: exactly exactly yeah
0: uh, in our last couple of minutes here, you know, I, I've uh, I've had the um, the Compassionate Courage website scrolling across the screen here, and for those who are listening in, that is https colon slash slash center for conflict dot org slash cc home. Um, is there anything that you'd like us to to, uh, to point us toward that you're working on that you're excited about, or you know, that's on the horizon for Compassionate Courage?
1: Um, well, I'm working on a few different things in terms of first being able to articulate this, uh, approach, you know, more clearly to people. So we do different, uh, sessions, we call them training sessions, but I would love to have more DI professionals join me in that if you're interested to really develop this method, to think about things that, you know, we all need to, you know, uh, have it up in the forefront maybe, maybe I'm missing something. So I welcome that kind of interactions with others. And would love uh, people's inputs. We also do um, a session every second Thursday of every month. It is called Word View, and it's basically we pick one word for the month. It's always second Thursdays of the month, and it's at seven pm on uh, on on that Thursday, uh, East Coast time. And we just explore the word, and we use this as a way to both educate ourselves, but also to engage with others. You know, so our last word was respect. You know, so it's really like what does respect mean to us? And what does it mean to me? And, you know, how do we engage with each other with respect? And I have to say, those conversations have been absolutely wonderful in terms of just learning, but also, you know, just engaging with different groups of people. So anybody interested, please join us for that as well. You know, Um, most welcome.
0: Great. And uh, were there any responses from that respect conversation that really have stuck with you?
1: I think we all stuck on, we got stuck in the fact in the very end, which was fantastic that respect is when you are working and re- engaging with the humanity in the other person. Nice. Because it started with, you know, well, we notice disrespect. We don't know, really notice respect, you know. It's only when we are disrespected we say there's no respect, right? right we don't right. Really define respect. And people are different things, you know, it's about being kind, about caring and doing this. But in the end, it came down to humanity, which I thought was a beautiful way for us to conclude
0: and what a wonderful way for us to conclude as well, as well. <laughs> so Pushpa, thank you so so much for joining us today i know that there was a lot to get to this point so again really really thank you so much thank for you. sticking with it and for joining me today uh, thank you, as always, to Diverity PBC for uh, for allowing us to to do this podcast in the first place. And if you are looking for people and culture experts alike, Pushpa, please do head to our website, which is uh, www. Diverity.com. That's D I V E R I T Y.com. And uh, if you're an organization, you can join us as well. You can take a look at our beta. But if you're a practitioner, then yeah, see if Diversity is right for you. We do a lot of uh, community building and we get uh, to chat with wonderful people like Pushba. So we hope to see you. Thank
1: right. you, Enrico. Thank, thank you so you. much. And Thanks, thank everybody. you, everyone, for joining.
0: All right. Bye. Bye bye. Enrico here. Thanks so much for tuning in to the DEI is podcast. If you're walking away from this episode feeling like you've learned something, saw something from another angle, or if you just enjoyed it, give us a like, share it with your friends, and please subscribe. More people tuning in means that it's more likely that diversity will catch the interest of investors, which is crucial for us to take things to the next level in addressing the inequities that DEI practitioners face under the current norms, standards, and practices of DEI consulting. Building a diverse equitable and inclusive organization is hard, but finding DEI expertise and services shouldn't be. If you're looking, you know where to find us. Till next time, this is Enrico Imanalo. See you soon.